Well, one day, a little doggy went wandering into a jungle. And there he was, minding his own business in the jungle. But this jungle happened to have a lion in the same jungle. Who would have thought? And the lion sees the dog from a distance and thinks, "Mm -mm mm-mm-mm, he looks tasty. I've never seen his kind before. So he starts to approach, thinking this is a blessing. Dinner has come early. But then the dog notices the lion coming for him and starts to freak out. What am I going to do? Where am I going to run to? Where am I going to hide? But then he comes up with a cunning idea. He notices a little pile of bones just sitting on the ground. And he goes, mmm, that was a tasty lion and so the lion starts freaking out like oh this guy's tougher than I thought I better get out of here so he runs away as you do now there was a cheeky little monkey up in the tree that saw it all unfold those cheeky monkeys and he thought what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna go tell the lion exactly what happened here and I'm gonna get a little something out of this for myself and so that's what he did the monkey went to find the lion and told him everything that actually happened revealed the truth and now the lion was angry and hungry and he said to the monkey monkey get on my back we're gonna go get this dog together so they start making their way back to the dog who's just minding his own business and then looks up to see a lion with a monkey on his back and so he starts to freak out again where am I gonna go where am I gonna hide like where am I gonna run to And then again, he comes up with a cunning idea. Nice and loudly, he proclaims, where the heck is that monkey? I told him to bring me another lion an hour ago. (laughs) That's good. I don't know if you've ever found yourself caught in a position in the middle, not knowing what to believe or who to listen to. I think one of the most fascinating things about the God of the Bible is that He actually speaks to us and that He listens when we speak to Him. Can you even begin to fathom how enormous this is? Like The God of the universe, the same mouth that spoke the universe into motion, also wants to whisper into our spirit to lead us and guide us. I think that's amazing. In Genesis chapter 3, you get uh, a picture here where Adam and Eve are in the Garden of Eden, and God is there too. And it says this from verse 8. It says, When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Nice hiding spot. Then the Lord God called to them, Where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid. I was petrified because I was naked. I just love how casual this is. Like they're just in the garden and God's like, where are you? He's like, sorry, I'm over here. I was a bit scared. Like, don't you wish it was that easy to hear from God? Like it was just a back and forth conversation. Like, God, how is it that I'm meant to discipline my kids? Uh, For that kid, you should try this. Okay, thanks God, I'll I'll do that. Uh, God, how do I share some words of encouragement to a friend who's going through a really hard time? I think actually what you need is to say this. Yeah, God. That, that actually sounds perfect. Thank you so much. How much should I give in this offering, God? I'm torn. and I, Well, you should give this amount. I know it's going to be a stretch for you, but you can trust me. Okay, God, I'll do that. Don't you wish it was that easy? Why is it that God seemingly speaks so freely and so often and so easy to understand in Scripture, and yet in today's day and age, it can seem like it's a whole lot harder to discern His voice, to actually know that you know that God is speaking and to have the faith to step up and act according to what it is that He's saying. Now, we've probably all found ourselves in this position, right? I think we've all been there, perhaps, where you're standing there going, God, was that you or was that just me? Or was that the devil? Or was that just Tom Hanks from the movie I watched last night? Like we're just not quite sure. Hands up, you've just been a bit confused as to whether that's God speaking or if it's us or it's the enemy. And it can be really hard to decipher it. It can kind of feel like a guessing game. We've maybe done the old uh, God speak to me Bible roulette trick. 
God, I've got three minutes. I need you to speak to me. So we get the Bible and we flick and we point and we land somewhere like 2 Samuel 23. And so Benaiah on a snowy day chased a lion into a pit and killed it. You're like, no, 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 no. We're going we're gonna to go get, give me some New Testament, something a bit, you know, fluffier and nice. And then you go to Luke 10, 37 and Jesus says, now go and do likewise. You're like, no, this isn't working out for me. I want to suggest today, though, that hearing from God and knowing that we've heard from God is far less of a guessing game than it is a process. There is actually a process that we can go through systematically to give ourselves a really confident assurance that the God of heaven has actually spoken to us. Isn't that exciting? Like, can you imagine how much your faith would come alive if you could know with certainty that God spoke to you? Can you imagine the breakthrough and the impact we could bring to our community to be a mouthpiece for God, to speak confidently and, and with authority and anointing, to speak life and hope over those in our world? First Thessalonians chapter 5, from verse 19 to 22, says this. It says, Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Do not scoff at prophecies, but test everything that is said. Hold on to what is good. Stay away from everything every kind of evil. Now, in the message version of the same scripture, the message version is kind of like a really good complementary version of the Bible. It sort of just puts it in really easy to understand language so we can understand. I would suggest not having that as your only source of Bible reading, but it's nice to have it as a compliment to help get our head around the ideas. So the message version of that same verse says, don't suppress the spirit and don't stifle those who have a word from the master. On the other hand, don't be gullible. Check everything and keep only what's good. Throw out anything tainted with evil. So not only are we able to test what we think we're hearing, but God actually encourages us to do it. To do a, do a series of tests and checks to ensure that what is good remains and what is junk is pushed aside. I wonder if we could consider it like a production line in a factory. It's like a product has to make its way along the production line. And at any point, there are different people doing different checks and tests to ensure only good products make, it, make its way through and onto the shelf. Now, you wouldn't trust a toy company who sometimes made good toys, but sometimes didn't. Sometimes all the pieces were in the box and, you know, sometimes they weren't. Imagine that on a puzzle, the worst. Sometimes the toy actually worked as it should and, and sometimes it doesn't. See, if there is a defect along the way, the product is removed from the production line and put on the shelf. Why? Because that toy doesn't represent the toy maker well. It's not his design. It's not his heart. In fact, that toy with the defect was never meant to make it out of the factory and into the home of a child. See, it's not a guessing game. I think the toy looks pretty sweet, but it's a process. And there is a process we can go through to ensure that the word we're hearing from God is not defective. Now, here's the key, though. It has to pass all seven tests. Oh, it's got all four wheels. It's been painted, but there's no screws. Okay, so the toy's not going to work. It's defective. The word that we receive from God, I want to suggest that we can test in the same way. So go through seven different tests to ensure, okay, it lines up, it makes sense, it's for me, it's accurate, let's go and I can take action on that. But here's the key, it has to pass all seven tests. Now I've got seven different tests that I want to take us through this morning that come from Pastor Rick Warren from Saddleback Church in the States. Now God speaks to us in a bunch of different ways. Right? It might be through the encouraging word of a friend. It might be through a preacher or a teacher. It might be through a vision or a dream. It most commonly might be through Scripture as we read it. It's like you're reading God's Word, and for whatever reason, it's coming alive, and it's like things are jumping off the page at us. Well, today, I want to focus on a different kind of uh, way that God speaks to us, and it's this inner prompting. It's this nudge. It's like it's hard to explain, but it kind of feels like God has spoken straight to our spirit. You're not sure how to make sense of it completely, but just something in you knows that God has spoken. And that's fine. 
except sometimes we know and turns out we didn't. Sometimes it feels right and then it turns out that it wasn't. And I think if we want to be accurate and know that God has spoken to us, there are these seven different tests we can go through and we're going to zoom Zoom, 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 right through all of them today. Number one, it's in your notes. You can write it down. Um, the first test that I think I've heard from God, let's, let's put it to the test. The first test is, does it line up with God's scripture? Does it line up with the Bible? Does the word I've heard find confirmation in the scripture? Now, quite often uh, we'll say God can do anything, but the truth is God cannot do anything. God has purposefully limited himself to the truth of his word. The Bible isn't just a whole bunch of old stories, right? It's the active, living, powerful Word of God. Maybe we could word it like it is the script of heaven. And this means that God will never do anything or say anything that is against what He's included in the Bible. And by limiting Himself in this way, what He's done is He's given us certainty on who He is, given us certainty on His faithfulness, and He's allowed us to accurately test what it is that we think He has said to us. Luke 21, 33, Jesus says, Look, heaven and earth will disappear. All of the things around us will disappear. But then he said, but my words will never disappear. So they are eternal. They are trustworthy and they're true. God will never, ever, ever tell us one thing in Scripture and tell us something contradictory to that in an internal impression. And this is why it's so vital that we actually know the Word of God. We hear a word and we think, does that line up with Scripture? I've got no idea. That makes it a whole lot harder to determine if it passes the first test. But the more we know of Scripture, the more we know of God's heart. I remember a handful of years ago, I was at, we had a botany campus and it was the 5 p.m. service. And there was this young adult couple that I knew. I knew both him and his girlfriend. And one day this young man in his early 20s came up, felt the need to tell me something. He said, Frosty, I said, yes. He said, I just want to let you know that God told me that it's okay for me to sleep with my girlfriend because we both have peace on it. I was like, oh, he played the God card. He said, God said, that's amazing. And I remember thinking, sitting there going, 100%. God did not say that. Well, Frosty, who are you to say what God did and did not say? That's a little bit pretentious. No, no, no. That's just biblical. That's literally what is in His Word. And if we feel like God has spoken, but it doesn't line up his word, with His Word, well, we can know that's defective. God's Word is very clear that sex within the confines of marriage is God's design for humanity. And so if you feel like God has said something, but it doesn't line up with Scripture, one of them has to give way. No brownie points for guessing which one. We might say, well, you know, God told me it's all good. I can just not come to church because it's filled with hypocrites anyway. So I'll just do home church by myself. That's cool. Except the Bible says that we should not give up gathering together as some are in the habit of doing. So our God card, our God said card becomes defective when it doesn't line up with Scripture. And this is the first and sometimes the easiest test to determine. You might say, God prompted me to make an offer on that house. Okay, well, that's, that's not against Scripture. That's not for Scripture. It's just sort of one of those things in life. So sometimes that can be really easy to pass. Um, but other times, you need to go and check and have a knowledge of the word or ask a good friend, does it line up with scripture? It does? Awesome. We move on to the second test. The second test to make sure that this word is actually from God is this, uh, does it make me more like Christ? Ephesians 4 verse 14 to 15 says, then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love. This is it, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. You know, building the character of Jesus into your life is God's plan for you. 
So God is never going to prompt you to do something, to think something, to believe anything that's going to get in the way of you becoming more Christ-like. If it's not like Jesus, you didn't get it from God. So what does Jesus-like wisdom look like? Let's take a look at James chapter 3, verse 14 to 17. It says, But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. I love the Bible. It says, Such and wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Man, this verse is so helpful to us. It actually outlines what godly wisdom looks like. And it's interesting that what godly wisdom looks like is also what the character of Jesus is like. Let's go through these real quick, man. What a helpful verse. You should note this down and you can go back through it later. But it lists some things that godly wisdom is like. First of all, it's pure. The question is, is it pure? If the thought is impure, it didn't come from God. Simple as that. Number two, is it peace-loving? If the idea is from God, it'll promote harmony and reconciliation, not conflict. Now, that doesn't mean that God's Word won't produce challenge in your life, but challenge is different from conflict. Uh, Number three, is it considerate and gentle? Any idea that would hurt or harm someone else, even if it benefits you, is not from God because He cares about the effect that it might have on others. Now, obviously, there's an exception here where sometimes delivering the truth in love does bring hurt and challenge. And someone might say, I've been hurt by that. Um, But when delivered graciously, sometimes we still have to do that. So that's a different sort of hurt. But is it considerate and gentle? Number four, is it submissive? If you get a prompting or idea from God, it's really important that we test this with other trusted Christians. If you feel like you've got a word from God, but you're really reluctant and you don't want to share it with anyone, you might say, well, it's private. Well, you might not want to share it publicly, but there might be some trusted people privately that you can share it with. And if you're reluctant to share it with somebody else for confirmation, and if you find yourself thinking, how can I sort of take action secretly on this? Then that's a really good indication that it isn't from God. Because when God speaks to us, it leads us into submission so that we can find confirmation in the counsel of other people. Number six, is it impartial? When you get an idea from God, it shouldn't lead you to try and manipulate that, to try and get your own way with others. And number seven, yep, number seven, is it sincere? Is the word without hypocrisy and does it have a genuine motive? See, if a word that you received ticks all of these boxes, then you can be sure that it's going to help you become more Christ-like. So yeah, it lines up with Scripture. Does that word where God's prompting me to do something, does it make me more Christ-like? It does. All right, little trucky truck, let's move on through to test number three. All right, test number three is, does my church family confirm it? Now, we briefly touched on this, but if God has spoken to you, He's going to confirm it through other believers. This is the framework that God has set up for our safety. Now, more spiritually mature people are not now in a position to confirm their own word. Oh, you know, when I was a young spring chicken, I used to get confirmation from other believers, but now that I'm mature. No, no, no. We all have the ability to get that wrong. We all have the ability to make a mistake. So it doesn't matter how spiritually mature you are, having counsel with others is really important. And this is why it's so important that we are each connected and part of a small group. We didn't come up with that idea. That's God's idea because when we're connected to other people, we can share, we can converse, we can say, hey, I think God's saying this. What do you think about that? And we can find accountability and counsel in the community of others. And so confirmation comes in the context of community. Confirmation never comes in isolation. That's dangerous. 
fact, Proverbs 11:14 says, "In the multitude of counselors, there is safety." You notice that in the multitude, not in the confirmation of my one mate that always agrees with me and tells me what I want to hear. People like that are not helpful in your life. You need to get people around you that love you enough to go, "Hey, I hear what you're saying, but I don't think that's from God." I love you enough to be honest with you and say, hey, would we just hold back on that one? It doesn't sound like something God would say. You know, some things don't need confirmation, though. Like, let's not over-spiritualize and overthink everything. Like, if God prompts you and says, hey, would you just go and be generous within your means towards someone? Just go do it. Be obedient and see what God does with your life. God gives you an encouraging word to just go and share. And if it's appropriate for you to share that, just go and share it. You don't need to then get seven counselors to... You know, encourage someone generally. But if it's appropriate for you to share it, you can. But otherwise, if you feel like, man, I'm trying to measure up if God is speaking to me, it has to be um, confirmed by other believers. Awesome. It's confirmed. My small group, trusted people at church say, yeah, that sounds like something God might have said. So let's pass that test. Amen. You're doing well, little truck. Okay. Test number four. Is it consistent with how God has shaped me? God has made you for a purpose. That's not like a wishy-washy statement that Christian pastors like to say. It is so true. He has wired you. He has gifted you to make a difference in a way that is unique to you. In fact, Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's masterpiece. You're a masterpiece. God is pleased when He looks at you. He says He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do good things that He planned for us long ago. Maybe you've heard it illustrated like this before. Um, Imagine a chair. Now, a chair has been designed for a specific purpose. It has a back. It has a seat. It has legs. It sits at a certain height. It has been designed to be sat on, and so its purpose is to be sat on. Its purpose is to have people sit on it. Now, a microphone was designed very differently. If I were to go and sit on a microphone, awkward, uncomfortable, doesn't make sense. That's really weird. See, chairs were designed to be sat on, and microphones were designed to be spoken into. I say all of that to say this. Your design reveals your purpose. Your design reveals your purpose, and God has designed you in a specific way. There are some things that you're good at, and there are some things that you are not good at. There are some things that excite you, and there are some things that bore you to death, and you can't understand why anyone else would get excited at that thing. You can discover a lot about God's will for your life by looking at what you're good at. And you might say, well, I was missed out. I'm not good at nothing, anything. Firstly, that's not true. You need to ask your small group or ask people around you. Say, what is it that I'm good at? And they're going to help you identify it. Because Romans 12, 6 says, in His grace, God has given us different gifts, different gifts for doing certain things well. And so God's will for your life should make sense to the way that He has shaped you. The way that He has wired you could be considered your shape. He's shaped us for a purpose. If you ever get a sense that God is calling you or leading you in a way that's just just doesn't make sense and is contradictory to the way that you've been shaped, then it's an indication that it might not be from God. Unless, of course, God is calling something out of you that you don't yet see in yourself. But in that instance, it would be confirmed by other believers. I remember back when I was in Bible college in 2011, and we had this thing where once a term we would have a ministry day. And so we would pray and fast into it, and someone with a prophetic gift would come and give prophetic words to everyone in the class. Well, there we were, and it was amazing. This guy with his prophetic gift was giving these really accurate and encouraging words to everyone in my class. And then it got to me, and I remember him saying, you really like music and instruments, don't you? And I was like, don't you laugh. I was like, I like them. I don't think I should be anywhere near them. And then he went on to say something about one day, you know, you're going to work with Parachute in the music industry. And I was like, sure, 
sure. It just didn't make sense. It just felt so contradictory to the way that I was wired, the way that I was shaped. And so I didn't take action on it. Now, I put it on the shelf. I didn't forget it, but I didn't go chasing after it. And it's such a danger when someone feels like they've heard from God and they don't take it through all the tests or they get a prophetic word and then all of a sudden they just drop everything and start going after it. That's not healthy and it's not wise. See, a prophetic word or a word from God, unless confirmed, should never initiate a new direction, but it should confirm what God is already saying and doing in your life. Okay, yeah, okay, it passes that test. Next one, does it concern my responsibility? Does it concern my responsibility? Now, this one's a little bit more complex, but um, it starts with this foundation that we believe God speaks to everyone. Like, I'm not special. I'm not an oracle of the Lord to the people. Like, God speaks to all of His people. So if we start from that basis, we then realize if, if God was going to speak to someone, would it not make sense that He first spoke to the person whose responsibility it is? Let's make up an example. You might say, well, I've got a word from the Lord to give an instruction to our worship team on what songs that they should sing. Well, that's really nice, except would it not make sense for him to speak to our worship leaders? Would it not make sense for him to first and foremost speak to those whose responsibility it is? Now, it doesn't mean God won't speak to you about things outside of your responsibility, but I would say be cautious and patient. Maybe he's spoken to you to be a confirmation of encouragement to someone rather than a leading voice, because why would God not first speak to the person whose responsibility it was? You know, I love John chapter 21. Jesus is speaking to Peter and he says, Peter, you're going to die a martyr's death. You're going to die for your faith. And I love Peter's response. His response is to glance across at John, who's standing over there and go, what about him? Like, why do I have to die a martyr's death? What about him? And he evidently was not satisfied with instruction of what was going to happen with his life. He wanted to know of the future of John. And I love Jesus' response. He says, if I want John to stay alive until I return, what's it to you? You must follow me. He's saying, Peter, don't get all worked up about John's future. I'm going to speak to John regarding John, but you must follow me. And the same is for us, church. If we get so worked up on what we think God is or isn't saying to others, we're going to miss what it is that He's saying to us. We can be so caught up, oh, but God must be speaking to them and they're not listening and I'm going to come and deliver the word. Deliver a word if it's encouraging. Deliver a word if you feel like it's confirmation, but don't get distracted as to miss what God is saying to you. You know, this is different, though, from speaking up against something that we feel is not right. If you see something that is unbiblical and you've got a relationship with that person, I think we carry responsibility to stand up and speak up against that. Um, but when it comes to actually hearing from God for ourselves, first thing, is this within my responsibility? Does it make sense that God would be speaking to me? Can I do something about this? Is He calling me to take action? Yeah, yeah, He is. That's within my responsibility to some extent. So we're going to pass that test and move on to test number six. You guys are doing awesome. There's a lot of info here, eh? but I really do hope that it's helpful for you. Number six, is it convicting rather than condemning? There are a lot of Christians that live under condemnation, that live under this feeling of constant guilt, and we think that it comes from God. That does not come from God. Condemnation is from the devil. Conviction is from God. See, I think it's Romans 8.1 says, so now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So what's the difference between the two? What's the difference between condemnation and conviction? Those are both really long words. What do they mean? Well, the purpose of conviction is to bring challenge and growth to your life, but it's motivated by God's love. It's like a challenge to grow and change. And because God loves you, He might help you identify an area in your life that needs to change and grow. It might be a relationship. 
a habit, an attitude, or a belief, and he might just nudge you and say, hey, um, the way that you're speaking to people, let's just address that for a second, because we need to get that out of your life. It's not representing me well, and it's robbing you of, of my best for you. Or, hey, there's some people in your world. Hey, for a season, we're going to need to get them out of your life until you're strong enough to not be negatively influenced by them. Let's just address these things, and it's motivated by God's love. Sometimes it's hard to stomach. I'm being challenged to grow and to change and to step into all that God has for me. It's not always nice, but you get a sense that it's true and that God's with you in it. And even though it's a challenge, it's convicting, but it's from God. Now, condemnation is there to criticize. It's there to make you feel guilty and weighty and worthless. And this is definitely not from God. But I don't want you to get confused on these two because being convicted, convicted often doesn't feel nice. And we're like, well, that makes me feel uncomfortable. That's condemnation. <laughs> get out of my life. No, no, no. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, but there will be challenge. So don't be taken back when you feel like, has God spoken? Well, that makes me feel uncomfortable, but ask, is it true? Is it motivated by God's love? Would I actually be more Christ-like if I did this? Then as hard as that is to stomach, it's probably convicting rather than condemning. Okay, it doesn't make me feel weighty and guilty, but it's a challenge, but I sense it's from God. It's, it's just convicting. We've passed that test, and it gets to our final test, which is do I sense God's peace on it? Do I sense God's peace about it, rather? <laughs> Colossians 3.15 says, And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. You know, God has given us His peace to act as a ruler, as a judge, as a referee in our life. Imagine a game of rugby. Two teams going at it, trying to dominate the other and get the victory. They both want the win, but it's the referee in the middle that helps determine who gets the win. Now, if you remove the referee from a game of rugby, some sports might be able to survive, kind of. Rugby would not. It would be absolute carnage and everybody would lose. But who is it that blows the whistle when something's not right? It's the referee. And for us, the referee, when it comes to making decisions on what we think God has said to us, is the peace of God. And if God's peace has walked off the field and you're struggling to make a decision, then my suggestion to you is just take a moment to stop and seek to get God's peace back onto the field, back into the situation to make the final ruling. LJ, you can join me on keys. This is a common mistake, though, and I feel like this one's really worth mentioning. What people do is they take test number seven, the peace of God, and they elevate it above all the other tests. Remember, any word needs to be tested, and it has to pass all seven tests. And they say, yeah, look, I know it doesn't line up with God's word, but I've got peace on it. Oh, that's nice. I know my small group and people in my church think the word's a bit whack and I should probably say clear of it, but the, that doesn't matter because God has spoken and I've got peace on it. That's not wise. Peace is powerful. Peace will change your world. Peace will confirm, but peace was always meant to be a test in conjunction with all of the others. Church, I would not put it past the enemy to give you peace about something so that you moved forward when you shouldn't. I can imagine them sitting there like, oh, all they need is peace. Here's some peace. You meaning to tell me they're not even going to check that it lines up with the Word? They're not even going to check that their church family confirm it? They're not even going to check that it lines up with the way that they've been shaped? They just need peace. Peace. And you step out because you've ignored all these others. It's dangerous. Our heart is deceitful above all things. We get it wrong. So the peace is important, but the peace is in conjunction with all of the other gifts. Now, peace doesn't mean that the Word won't be challenging. Peace doesn't mean that the Word won't ask you to step out and it might be nerve-wracking. You might find yourself uncomfortable, but yet there's still a peace that God is with you in that journey. Now, I'm so thankful that we serve a personal God who cares for us, 
He's mindful of us. The Bible says that He takes delight in every detail of our lives and He speaks to us. Could we lift our faith to believe that God speaking to us is like the radio in our car? It's always transmitting something, but if we're not tuned into the right frequency, we might miss what it is that He's trying to say. God is speaking to you. And part of what it means to be spiritually mature is not just go, I've got a prompt and I'm going, but it's to take that word and go through a process and take it through all seven tests and determine with assurance that God has spoken to you. Why, why would God speak to us? Why would He not just give us the word, which is Him speaking to us and leave it at that? It's because above all other things, all He's ever wanted to do is to know you to have relationship with you. I have relationship with Darcy and as a natural result of that, we speak to one another, it's powerful. And God wants to do the same with you. You might be here saying, oh man, that's amazing. And I really hope those tips will help you to determine if God has spoken to you. But at the heart of all of that, it's relationship. That's why God wants to speak. 